Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, so good. Welcome to everyone uh, online as well as everyone in VR. Uh, I've got up here today uh, quite a crew. And as you can see, you're like, you might be thinking, who is this group? This is our group that's actually heading to Costa Rica this week. They're going to, uh, they're leaving later this week, right? When do you go? Friday? Friday. Heading to uh, Ogar de Vida. It's a, it's a children's home there in Costa Rica. There they'll be serving the children, the tias. It's really providing so much of a break for the tias who serve these kids day in and day out. And, um, and I know God's going to do really sweet things in your lives. I asked the team earlier, I was like, how many is it, uh, for you is this your first time? So, and look at this. I mean, we've got like, it's a whole slew. And so can you just give it up for this team uh, as they're going to be going, representing us. Um, but taking a big, bold step because um, I, I imagine that there's some of you who say, man, I've, I've seen teams leave from Lakeland over the years and maybe just all of a sudden you're like, I've got to go to this one. And so uh, we just want to pray over you and commission you for this trip. Uh, it's a practice that we see right out of the New Testament church that when they would send a missionary to a nearby city or something like that, a lot of times what they would do is they would lay hands on them to commission them. And so that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand on their shoulders right now, kind of all the way down the line. I want to invite you from where you're at to just extend your hand toward them if you're comfortable doing so. And uh, let's pray for this team. So Jesus, we thank you for uh, each member of the team that you've, uh, you've selected, you've hand-selected, you've designed this team. You knew that this was the group who was going to be going before the foundations of the, the earth for such a time as this to go serve in Costa Rica at Ogar de Vida. And Lord, I just pray for each person that they have a unique encounter with you, where they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, your Holy Spirit will be working in them and through them. I pray even for an uncomfortable moment for each person on this team. It's that moment where they go, oh man, I don't like what's happening, but it's by uh, your Spirit's power within them that they can power through and that they can experience your strength when they are weak. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give them words to say, prayers to pray over the children, ways that they can minister that will just meet uh, the staff there in such a powerful and profound way. And I pray, Lord, that their lives would be forever marked and forever changed, that they would come home saying, wow, I just, I experienced a culture that I'd never experienced. I experienced God working in a way I've never experienced. And, um, and there's something that God's done in me that will forever change me. So we pray and declare this over this team. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much. Give it up for them again. You guys can head on off stage. Make sure to say hi to them if you see them afterward. And if you want to follow their trip, just uh, make sure to follow us on our Facebook page. We'll have daily updates happening, photos from the trip. That'll start, obviously, uh, after Friday once they go. Also, in the meantime, if you're sitting there going, man, I wish I would have been able to give or do something to help this team, there's still a way that you can really help. Uh, One of the things that we always do is our team members actually pack a minimal amount, and then they bring extra luggage, and we fill that luggage with supplies for Ogar Vida and it's specific supplies that they've requested. And so we actually have a list. It's an Amazon list. You can go to our Facebook page. You can click on it, follow it to that Amazon uh, link, 
and purchase some items, and it'll get shipped directly here, and then they can pack that, and it will go to Ogarda Vita. So if you want to be able to help, that would be a huge help um, to help fill that Amazon list. Also, you might be thinking, man, I missed it. I want to go on a missions trip, and I missed it. Well, guess what? This is so great because I just got off the phone earlier this week with Compassion International, and we do have our next trip lined up going to Honduras. Uh, And this is really what's so cool about this. It's in January, so January 19th through the 24th. What's cool about this is that we have actually sponsored this church, uh, nearly 500 kids in a tight little region right there in Honduras. We actually helped build a church building there. And and, and what's really cool is that if you sponsor a kid in Honduras and you go on this trip, you're going to be able to visit your child that you sponsor on a monthly basis. And so that's happening January 19th through the 24th. I know you're like, well, it's coming up quick. Well, I just, you know, the dates just got locked in. So if you're interested in finding out more information about that, uh, go to Next Steps. The table's right out here or just email us at nextsteps.lakeland.church and uh, we'd love to get you onto that team and that trip. It's going to be really cool. All right. Today, we continue in our series, The Goat, and we're calling the, the Goat is Greatest of All Time, sermon ever preached, preached by Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, and then the remainder of the summer, we're working our way through that passage, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, to get us into today's kind of subject, here's what I want to do. We're going to do a little interactive kind of game. I'm going to give you a scenario. Um, It's kind of the opposite of would you rather, okay? So instead of would you rather, it's what's worse, okay? So you're going to vote what's worse out of these two scenarios, okay? And just kind of throw your hand up. Everyone has to vote. Here we go. First one, uh, which is worse, sitting on a, uh, in traffic gridlock or sitting on the tarmac in a delayed airplane? Which is worse? How many of you would say it's worse to be in traffic, car traffic? How many of you, tarmac, delayed, okay, plane, <laughs> apparently. All right, which is worse, your lunch leaking over everything in your bag or spilling a cup of coffee down your shirt? Which is worse, uh, lunch all over everything in the bag? Oh, uh, coffee down the shirt. Okay, more coffee down the shirt, people. Uh, which is worse, being, I didn't write any of these, by the way, being handcuffed to a hungry monkey, okay, or stuck in a box with a smelly dog? Uh, which is worse, uh, handcuffed to the, to the hungry monkey, uh, smelly dog? Okay, I'm just super impressed with all you smelly dog people, or, or no, yeah, those of you who'd rather be with the monkey, so yeah, you, I'm impressed. All right, which is worse? I don't like either of these. Stepping on a wet rug with socks, that, why? I don't know why, that's just horrible to me, or stepping in something sticky with bare feet. So which is worse, uh, wet socks, uh, or wet, wet carpet socks, sticky bare feet. Okay, more sticky bare feet people. Okay, uh, which is worse, uh, riding a roller coaster on a full stomach or sitting in the only bumper car that doesn't move? <laughs> uh, full stomach roller coaster, is that worse? <laughs> or bumper car that doesn't move? I'm with you guys. That's ridiculous. Come on. All right. All right, a little different here. Which is worse, lying on your taxes or lying on a job application? Yes. Which is worse? Lying on taxes? You got to vote. All Everyone votes. Lying on job application. Okay. Half of you are going to jail. Okay. Um, which is worse? Which is worse? Telling a little white lie or taking candy from a coworker's desk without asking? White lie? Is that worse? Or taking candy from your coworker? Okay. More liars. Awesome. Great. Okay. Which is worse? Uh, 
anger or lust? Anger or lust? Which is worse, anger or lust? How many of you didn't vote? Okay, so <laughs> which is worse? Last one I'll throw out your way. Unforgiveness or verbal manipulation? Which is worse? Unforgiveness, verbal manipulation. It's interesting. See, see, what's interesting here is when it comes to sin, things that are wrong or things that could hurt us or hurt others, we, I, I don't know if you realize it, but and while some of those at the end might seem a little bit difficult to actually categorize which is worse, which is, you're like, this is a really cruel and weird game, by the way. Um, it, what's crazy is we actually do it all the time. We categorize sin or how bad things are all the time. Like, if I were to throw it out this way, which is worse, hatred or murder? All of us would be like, well, murder's worse. Which is worse, lust or adultery? And you'd be like, well, adultery's worse, right? So you start to categorize things. And I would, I would bet that the reason why a lot of us actually had a difficult time uh, voting on some of those last ones or saying which one was worse is because we actually saw Maybe both of those I threw out, like the white lie or taking candy off your, your, your coworker's desk. You probably saw both of them as equally low offenses. AKA, you'd do both. Right? It's kind of like, because here's what we also start to do is based on how bad it is, we also then start to gauge, will I do it? Like if it's, if it's really bad, definitely not. If it's l- like low level bad, like, like, like let's categorize the wrongness level. Well, if it's not too bad, well then it c- can it be too bad for me? Is it that big of a deal? And, and we do this all the time where we categorize things. I do this all the time. Actually, my wife, she's a rule keeper, like to the T, and I'm a rule bender. How many of you are rule benders? I'm going to be rule keepers with my wife. So like even it happened like a, a, a week ago, we were down in Nashville. My wife and I were, were, and we were visiting. We went on this, like this, a mansion tour um, of this, I don't know, estate. And so while we were there and we, we like check in, they said, as soon as we checked in, they said, now, now once you're here, feel free to explore the grounds. So I interpret explore the grounds as explore the grounds. Like if there's a door that's closed, Let's explore what's on the other side of that closed door. Well, my wife would be like, I'm sure it's closed for a reason. Like, that's a keep out. And I'm like, no, that's explore the grounds. And so, like, we had even come up to, like, this, this like, horse stable. And there was a door that was open, but it seemed like no one else was in it. And I was like, let's go on in there. And she's like, I don't think we're supposed to go in there. And I literally make this, made this statement. What's the worst that could happen? Like, that's the, the statement. Categorizing level of badness. And I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? They kick us out of here? You know, but no one's, I'm not going in jail. See, level of badness. And I'm like, that, not that bad. Like, let's just go for it. And they invited us to explore the ground. So that's what I'm doing. And, and so, but here's the deal. We play this worst case scenario in our minds. And then we decide if it's worth doing. Is it okay for me to do? And the big question I want to tackle today is this. If it doesn't seem like, it's, like the worst could happen, is it really the worst if I do it? Like, are those things that aren't the worst, are they really a big deal? Well, Jesus is actually going to lean into that in kind of the next verses that we go into in Matthew chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to be able to uh, cover every verse as we go through all of the Sermon on the Mount. It just would take us till Christmas. But I will summarize, hopefully, all of the verses as we go through it. So to summarize kind of verses uh, 13 through 20, 
I'll break it into two sections. Verses 13 through 16, Jesus basically is talking about salt and light. Basically saying we should be salt and light. So salt makes things flavorful and light shines in dark places. And he even says, don't, don't let your light, like don't put it under a, you know, a lampshade or, a, or hide it under a bushel. You know, he's like, let it shine for all men. And he summarizes the main point in verse 16 when he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And the main point is this, that if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you call yourself a Christian, our lives should be seen by others in a way that actually makes them, that points them to God, to our Father in heaven. That's the main point. Then verses 17 through 20, he's going to kind of expound why we live like, why we would live like light. And he starts talking about the law. And basically saying, I didn't come to abolish Old Testament law, but to fulfill the law. And, um, and why your righteous standard, living righteously matters. And then he has this kind of drop mic statement in verse 20. This is what it all leads to. Verse 20, where he says, For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Drop mic. And everyone there is like, What? And here's why this is such a drop mic moment. It's so profound and it's so like difficult, honestly, for the listeners to even hear. Because if there were people who were the goats, greatest of all time, of living righteously, it was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Like this is what they were experts at doing. This is what they dedicated their whole lives to doing, was living perfectly to keep every like letter of the law. And then he says, unless your righteousness surpasses them, and everyone's like, that's impossible. Like, that's impossible. Those guys are, are the goats. They're the greatest of all time of doing that. How are we supposed to do that? And Jesus makes a, an, a, a statement that appears to be impossible, but he says it because it's exactly what he will make possible. There's something that the cross is actually going to accomplish on our behalf that he's actually pointing towards. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul is writing this, and he describes this amazing transaction that took place because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. It says, God made him, talking about Christ, who had no sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. He deserved no punishment because he did nothing wrong, and yet he who had no sin to be sin for us, meaning God took all of our sin and placed it upon Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Anytime that you see in him in scripture, what they're saying is for any of us who have placed our faith in Christ, if we placed our faith in Christ, now God sees us in Christ, like through the lens of Christ. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And here's the amazing thing that Jesus did for us at the cross. He took, he who had no sin took all of our sin upon himself. And then he exchanges what he had, which was his righteousness, and gives it to us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that literally when God looks at us, you want to know what he, he looks at us through? Through Jesus Christ. It's like as if Jesus, if the wrath of God should land upon sin when we come face to face with him one day. Jesus will stand right in front of us and go, I already took all the wrath of their sin that they deserve. I already took it upon myself. And all God the Father will see, will see Christ's righteousness in us. 
It's just this amazing exchange that takes place. So when Jesus says, hey, your righteousness needs to surpass those of the Pharisees, he's saying it because he knows that that will be the exchange that will happen for future Christ followers and for them. And so uh, because of all this, he's calling us then to a different standard of life, not a standard where we start to like jockey how bad are things, because he's calling us to a righteous standard because our righteousness is going to surpass that of the Pharisees. And so he's saying, I don't want you to kind of juggle how bad can things be. Instead, he's going to say, hey, you belong to a righteous standard. And he actually describes that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a couple verses earlier, this is what that righteous standard has done in us. He says, if anyone is in Christ, once again, we place our faith in Christ, They're a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You belong to a new standard of life. And so he's calling us to own a standard that has become ours. I pictured a little bit like this. Um, Kids all go through a unique phase in their life. It's usually, I don't know, from five, well, maybe maybe a little younger, till about eight, nine, they hopefully grow out of it. And it's this phase where everything that's in their hand ends up on the floor. Everything. I see it specifically when it comes to things like wrappers, you know, they're eating candy or they're eating food. And what's bizarre, like my eight-year-old son, he can be sitting at the table watching something on an iPad. He's eating a piece of candy or eating some food. He'll take that wrapper, instead of literally doing this, dropping it on the table, he will take it under the table and discard it and throw it like a wild man all over the floor. And I'll be sitting there and it's like all this garbage is landing. I'm like, what are you doing? All you have to do is do this. And then you can gather it all together and throw it in the garbage. But instead, no, we're going to live like hoodlums and throw it everywhere, all over the floor. I'm like, what is wrong? I'm like, what is wrong with these kids? And see, here's, here's the deal. Well, I get it. I might be the owner of the house. I want my kids, I want them to own the standard of one who lives there, Right? In the same way, God might live in heaven, a kingdom of righteousness, but he wants us too to own the standard of his kingdom. To to not play around in the which is worse, living to a standard that doesn't belong in his household. He's calling us to something higher. And here's why it matters. I kind of wrote this statement just to help us wrap around. Why does it matter? Because whenever we step outside of God's kingdom standards, we actually abandon the protection, provision, and promises that come from the kingdom of God. It's not that we become Christ followers and here's this whole new set of rules and, oh man, now it's just this massive work of trying to follow the rules. It's the reason why I want to own his standards is because whenever I walk outside of his standards, I actually submit no longer to the I lose the protection, provision, and promises of his kingdom. And now I actually submit to all the outcomes and results of the kingdom of this world. Which is darkness and chaos. And sin and death. And I don't want those results upon my life. I want the protection, provision, and promises of his kingdom upon my life. Does that make sense? Okay, so now Jesus is going to set the bar to the kingdom standard in a handful of different areas. And he's going to start by talking about murder, which is hopefully a standard that everyone's like, check, not going out and killing people, okay? And so this is how he says it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Let me read all the way to verse 26. You've heard it said uh, 
to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And everyone there is like, check, I've done that. Right, I haven't, haven't murdered anyone. But I tell you, anyone who's angry, what? Angry with your brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this, is, this is getting real. <laughs> okay, so then he goes on. He goes, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which was basically, it was slang of the day. Every generation has slang. This is basically, it's Aramaic slang for numbskull. That's what it is, okay? So he uses some slang of the day, and he says it's answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, which is not just saying, hey, you're a foolish person, but it's really an insult. Like, you fool. will be in danger of the fire of hell. What? And then he's going to go and throw it into a couple different scenarios. He's like, well, consider it in these settings. If you're uh, offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go be reconciled with them, then come and offer your gift. Or here's another scenario. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court, as if you're like walking to court together on the road. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison, and then you're going to have to repay everything back to the very last penny. So he gives them a couple scenarios, but what Jesus is doing here is he's actually raising the bar of the kingdom standard in regards to anger, judgment, and unforgiveness. He's, he's actually taking them all the way down to the root of murder. That's what he's doing. He's trying to get to the root. And he, picture it like this, literally like a root. Have you ever gone outside and cut down a tree or a bush and you cut it down right at the base, but you don't deal with the roots? Ever done this? Handful of you? Some? Yes? Just me. No, you've done it. You cut it down right there at the root, and then, but you don't get rid of the roots. What, what happens the next year? There's a branch popping out of that thing. Why? Because you didn't rip out the root. You, you just chopped off what was at the surface, but not underneath it. And what has happened is everyone uh, looked at murder and they're like, well, that's a big, ugly tree. We don't want that. Let's just chop that thing down. But they were allowing the root, which is actually at the base of murder, the, always the root of that is anger and bitterness. It's unforgiveness. And Jesus is saying, if you don't deal with that in your heart, you're actually allowing something to grow in you that actually could turn into something as ugly as murder. And, and, and that has no place in my righteous standard. And he's calling them all the way up to raise the bar to his standard, meaning let's rip out the root. In fact, the word that gets translated as angry, if you're angry with your brother or sister, literally means full of wrath, full of anger. It's, it's this all-consuming thing. And this is how you might know that you need to deal with anger in your life or unforgiveness. You might need to deal with unforgiveness. You might be a redneck if, okay? Here it is. You might need to deal with unforgiveness if you can't approach the relationship without your offense being the primary thing that shapes your perspective of the relationship. I just kind of wrote that up to kind of help our, us wrap our heads around. How would I know if I still have a problem with unforgiveness? Well, if you can't approach the relationship without that offense being the primary thing that shapes your perspective of the relationship. And by the way, it's amazing how often unforgiveness is a one-way street, meaning you're the only one riding it and the other person is totally unaware. Like, let me give you an example. This is probably 15 years ago. I was at my last church, and uh, there was a gal that one of our staff members ran into her out 
in public somewhere, and, and he said, you know, how are you doing? And she's like, we are this close to leaving the church. And he's like, what happened? And, and she literally goes on to say how I think she had had like some outpatient medical, you know, procedure done, something like that. And she goes, I put it on Facebook and no one from the church reached out. Now, to her defense, this is the early years of Facebook and she didn't, maybe didn't realize that it's not like an email or a text. <laughs> didn't realize that Facebook is a one-way street in which you're riding it and no one else has to be on the road with you or pay any attention to what you're doing. And so I think she, in her mind, thought if I put it out there, it's like a megaphone in which every person should hear and respond. <laughs> Well, we didn't even know it happened, had no clue that she had had surgery or that there had been anything in her life. And so all of a sudden, so she's been bitter and angry and dealing with unforgiveness for months upon months upon months. And you want to know uh, how many people were riding that road with her? Just her alone. It's a one-way street in which she probably thought she's holding us captive in prison, but the truth is she was the only one being held in prison by her unforgiveness. And it happens all the time. Anger and unforgiveness, is, I, I call it a really tricky things where you sometimes you don't realize where unforgiveness is still in your life. I know this is going to sound really silly until you realize you're dealing with unforgiveness in your life. Like, that seems redundant. I know. Uh, but let me give you an example of how I, I even discovered it one time in my life. I just didn't realize I was dealing with unforgiveness until I realized I was dealing with unforgiveness. I was uh, this many, many years ago, probably 13 years ago, I was doing some premarital counseling. And um, every time I'd finish a, a session with a, this couple, I felt really, I don't know, like anxious and unsettled with the woman. And I couldn't figure out Why? And so after like our third time, and I'm always having the same feeling, I, I was like, God, what's going on? And all of a sudden, it's like God brought like perfect clarity of what was happening in my mind and in my heart. And all of a sudden, it's like I got narrowed in on the woman's lips. And this woman had mannerisms in terms of how her lips moved that were identical to a woman from my previous church who had like totally attacked me and our staff and the church and really like come against us and their lips were the same and uh, what was happening is I was like every time I'm walking away I didn't even realize it but I'm like I hate those lips that's what it was I didn't even know it and here's what I did I thought I had actually forgiven that woman years ago but apparently I hadn't forgiven her I just moved away and I called it unforgiveness or I called it forgiveness, but it wasn't. And I had unforgiveness. I still had to just go back with the Lord and say, okay, God, I've got to let this woman from my previous church off the hook because I can't have people's lips throwing me off like that for the rest of my life. But it was unforgiveness in my life that I had to deal with. And so sometimes it's, I don't know, I remember years later, this was five years ago, I went on sabbatical and I remember thinking, I just felt like I had I've been in ministry for 20 years. There's a lot of people that in ministry, you know, Christians are imperfect and we sometimes hurt one another, and sometimes unintentionally and sometimes intentionally. And, uh, and as a result, there's a lot of just kind of wounding that sometimes you can pick up over the years, especially as a pastor. And, and I remember sitting down with the Lord in a notebook and saying, Lord, would you just bring to my mind or my heart, uh, just bring them to my, my mind, anyone who I might have an offense with. 
and, and their offense. And so I can just deal with it. It doesn't mean I have to reach out to every person and be like, I'm mad at you. <laughs> you know, I'm letting you off the hook. I just need to do it on my own and, and process it through. And, uh, and so I just sit there and the Lord would bring someone to my mind. I'd be like, mm, I'd get like a turn in my stomach and be like, yeah. Yep, there's some anger there. What's the offense? A big one, you know? <laughs> Just, and, and after doing it for hours, I literally, I had this like a whole page of names. I'm like, whoa, this is more offense than I thought I was carrying. But if you invite the Lord into it, maybe he'll r- reveal where there might be a root growing that you actually need to deal with. And if I could just encourage you in any way or in another area where perhaps you've just overlooked, and it's probably one of the most overlooked or at least most purposely ignored area of forgiveness. It's forgiving yourself. I can't tell you the sheer number of people I've talked to over the years who will say, I can forgive everyone else who was involved in this situation in my life. I just can't forgive myself. I can't let myself off the hook. And and Please, I'm not trying to be rude, but if I can ask you bluntly, was the cross not enough for your wrong? You would probably say, no. I, I, I recognize that what Jesus paid for at the cross, covers my sin as well. My wrong in the equation or whatever happened. Okay, so if Christ will forgive you, then it's time that you align your thinking with his thinking. We're not going to have any stinking thinking and we're going to forgive ourselves. And, And there will be a huge breakthrough in that area. All right, finally. So now Jesus is going to shift to another overlooked category of sin. And he says this in verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And probably everyone's like, yeah, check. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, he's not just talking about men only. Yes, men are visual, are more visual than women. So this could be a man or woman thing. But he's trying to, once again, identify the root. That's just not simply about adultery. It's about what's happening in the heart of the individual. He's trying to get to the root and he's raising the bar to God's kingdom standard of righteousness and purity. And he's helping us see how God sees sin. Because once again, back around to that statement that I shared earlier, is that whenever we step outside of God's kingdom standards, we abandon the protection, provision, and promises that come with his standards. So, so if you sit there, and in this day and age, for, for the Jewish people, listener, they saw adultery as sin, but they might not have seen lust as sin. And so what he's doing is he's helping them see, hey, whenever I step even into that area, I I abandon the protection, provision, and promises that come with God's kingdom standard. But the point that Jesus is going to make, it's really clear that he's trying to raise the bar to God's kingdom standard. And then finally, final two verses I want to hit here is that Jesus is going to make a statement now of how serious, the question becomes, how serious are we going to get with living to his standard that he's calling us to? So he's going to say this in Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, this is clear hyperbole. He's not literally wanting people to gouge out eyes and cut off hands, but he is trying to make a statement to to basically ask this question. What extreme measure will you go to to walk in righteousness. What extreme measure are you willing to take to own the standard that God has for his kingdom and for his house? 
He knows the, the reality of what sin does. Sin is a slippery slope and it only ever goes in one direction. That's toward more sin. Like in our house, we've got some plants that have like, you know, branches and vines. And they're really funny. In the morning, every vine and every branch is reaching toward the toward the, the window, toward the sunlight. They all just reach and lean in that direction. Everything, the whole plant just starts doing this. <laughs> you want to know which way sin leans? Toward more sin. It just does. It's the only, it doesn't all of a sudden go, mild sin, I think I'm going to lean toward righteousness. No, it just goes toward more sin every single time. And so Jesus is saying, what extreme measure are you willing to take to expose sin, to deal with the root, so you don't get deeper into it. So today, I just want to invite some of you to gouge out your eyes. I'm joking. No, I'm not going to invite anyone to gouge out anything or cut off anything, but I am going to invite you and challenge you to do whatever extreme thing you need to do to deal with the root that you've allowed to just kind of just be under the surface and you've allowed it to stay there because you've said, what's the worst that could happen? On the, on the scale of badness, it's not that bad that I harbor this unforgiveness. And Jesus is like, no, it is. It's really, really, really bad. It's a root that must be ripped up. And are you willing to deal with it? So for you, if you're struggling and looking at things inappropriate, are you willing to tell someone and download software to guard you. If, if you are, every time you're on an app, you end up jealous and bitter toward what other people have. Are you willing to delete it? Are, are you willing to go to counseling? Are you willing to deal with that hurt, that habit, that hang up, and maybe hop in to celebrate recovery for the next season of your life? Are you willing to distance yourself from a friendship that's detrimental? Are you willing to move out of the unhealthy or wrong situation, living situation that you're in? Are you willing to do the thing that I know it feels so extreme and so scary? Are you willing to forgive that person? Yep, that person who totally doesn't deserve it and isn't sorry, by the way. Are you willing to forgive them? Because you own the standard that his kingdom represents. And it frees you, actually. Are you willing to do the thing that I know feels extreme? It's not as extreme as gouging out something or cutting off something, but it's extreme. But are you willing to do it? Why don't you stand here and we'll close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, yeah, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal something in maybe in each and every one of us where there's a root that needs to be dealt with. But I also want to just really encourage you at the end here, um, our prayer partners will be available. And for some of you, I would really encourage you to partner with someone in prayer. If it's around unforgiveness, I would almost always say, share it with someone and pray with someone. Almost always. Just, just because there's something that's so powerful in saying I'm letting this person off the hook or letting myself off the hook um, and I'm dealing with kind of unforgiveness. Or if it's an addiction, just share it with someone um, before you leave here. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just invite your spirit right now into this place. And this is such a crazy standard that you call us. You raise the bar. You don't lower it. You raise the bar to righteousness. And while it seems impossible, it's, it's because you have such a heart that you say, I, I just, I don't want any roots in our lives that can be detrimental, that can destroy our relationship and hurt us and hurt others. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal in each and every one of us if there is anything, any root of sin 
that we've allowed to just remain because we've said, what's the worst that can happen or it doesn't seem that bad. I pray that those things that don't seem that bad, (laughs) then it shouldn't be that hard to take care of or to call out or to say. And if it's that hard to say, then it probably is that bad. So Lord, bring to mind people that perhaps we need to forgive. Roots that need to be dug up. And then Lord, give us the guts to rip them up. Give us the guts, the bravery, the boldness. It's not as painful as gouging something out, but it might feel that big in your heart and in your mind. But it's worth it for freedom. It's worth it to align ourselves with your kingdom standard and to get the provision, protection, and promises of your kingdom over our lives. So Lord, help us to deal with it this week, today even, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've got some business to do with, uh, with the Lord, I invite you to come on forward and pray with one of our prayer partners and deal with it. Um, otherwise, you might be dealing with it later today as well. Keep talking with the Lord about it. But we'll see you guys later as we continue in the GOAT. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.